these children running out for First Kids Worship reminds me of Christmas morning running into the den to see what Santa Claus has brought. All right, eight days away, Santa. Hope you're ready, Santa. All right, when it comes to Christmas, we all have Christmas traditions. It might be playing Christmas music, and some of you sinfully start playing it before Thanksgiving, but that's okay. Um, that's a joke. But anyway, uh, might be eating certain Christmas foods that you only eat at Christmas time. It might be special activities like going around and seeing different Christmas lights and things like that. And I just realized we haven't even done that this year yet. Usually we've done it multiple times. We've got to go see them this week. It might be watching favorite Christmas movies. And my family and I love to watch the, the PG version, the network television version of National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation. Uh, mainly because my wife says that, that sometimes I remind her of the Chevy Chase character. I said, really? Do you think that? She goes, yeah, because you're so positive and you think everything's going to be fine and then it doesn't end up being fine and you kind of get frustrated, I guess. Uh, but most of the film was built around the main character, Clark Griswold, receiving a Christmas bonus from his work. He even puts down a down payment on an in-ground pool in expectation of this exorbitant bonus he's going to receive. And when the time comes for him to open what he thinks is the bonus, he's surrounded by immediate family and extended family and everyone. Uh, he opens it up and he realizes it is a membership to the Jelly of the Month Club where every month he receives a new type of jelly. And his crazy cousin Eddie, we all have those, right? His crazy cousin Eddie remarks, Clark, that's the gift that keeps on giving. <laughs> and uh, Griswold's uh, reaction is predictable and sets up the remainder of the movie. But that phrase always makes me laugh, the, the gift that keeps on giving, right? In this series, we're looking at different gifts of Christmas. Today, we're looking at the concept of humility. Humility is a gift that God gives us as we become more and more like Jesus. Uh, humility is not natural. It is supernatural. And we're going to see today, it's modeled perfectly by Jesus Christ. In fact, humility leads to more humility, which should lead to more humility. And the more humble we get, and the more we become like Jesus, the more we become like Jesus, the more humble we should be. In many ways, humility is the gift that keeps on giving. Philippians chapter 2, uh, starting in verse 1. Apostle Paul, writing the church in Philippi, this is going through as we go through our Bible in a year reading plan this, this year, in prison writes this. So, uh, if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. 
Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Verse 5. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Heavenly Father, this Christmas season we look at this passage which talks about your son Jesus coming to earth. Though he was in the form of you, he was born in the likeness of men. Lord, the likeness of a baby. So, Father, as we look at this passage today, we see the humility of your Son, Jesus Christ, that you would show us how we should be and how we can model ourselves in your humility and what humility offers us, the gift that it offers us, that it allows us today, Father. Let us see that today. Lord, I pray that my words reflect your true intention for us that your spirit speaks through me and that your spirit is in here today and receives it among the people. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Today I want to give you three ways that humility is a gift. Three ways that humility is a gift. Number one, humility allows us to serve others. Humility allows us to serve others others. Now, uh, when we take a mindset of serving, uh, we're able to do the following. Verse 1. So if there is any encouragement in Christ, uh, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy. Humility allows us to be encouraging to one another. It allows us to bring comfort to each other through love. When we allow the Spirit to work through us, we can have affection for others. We can have sympathy for others as we humble ourselves and become sympathetic, become affectionate. Some people may say, well, you know, I'm just not a very sympathetic person. And when you say that, what you're saying is you're not a very humble person. Or you may say, you know, I'm just not a very loving person. What you're saying is, I'm not a very humble person. I haven't humbled myself to the point of being sympathetic and being loving to others. God's people should be unified in this humility. He says in verse 2, I want you to complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind, being unified in all this as God's people. It means being unified and having this humility. What does that look like in our lives? 
Many times it means simply not speaking when we want to. Not doing things we want to do. It means not getting on social media and, and giving someone a piece of your mind because you have the right to. It means realizing you're just a, as much of a sinner as the person down the street. Verse 3, it means doing this, doing nothing from selfish ambition or conceit. Doing nothing from selfish ambition or conceit. True humility is not doing these things. Now, there's nothing wrong with ambition. Ambition is how you make it through life. It's how you muster up the courage to study and do well in school and hopefully graduate high school or college or graduate or whatever you're in. It's how you do well at a job, ambition. It's how you set goals in life and meet those goals to better yourself, to better your family, to better others. But when that ambition becomes completely selfish, you're not loving others and you're not being humble. When that ambition views other people as problems, or when that ambition views other people as obstacles or even the enemy, then you're not being humble. So he says, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. I actually have a problem with this because I would read this and I would think, well, God, does God want me to just have this inner monologue of what a horrible person I am all the time? Does God just want me to think that I'm just the most lowly, uh, 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 just horrible person who deserves nothing? I don't think that's what it's talking about. It doesn't mean to, to have a negative self-outlook. It just means that you're on the lookout for the needs of others. If you're a parent and have children living in your house, you're doing this all day long. At least you should. And if you're not, they'll make you, right? Always looking out for their needs. With my four-year-old, you know, someone asked me today, what, what would you do with that little, that little booger if you didn't have him today? And I said, a lot of things, right? <laughs> he's kind of needy. And when he's not needy, he's demanding, right? And if he wasn't my son, maybe I wouldn't serve him. But he is my son, and in serving him every day, I get a little picture of how God serves us. Amen? We're needy. We're demanding for no reason at all, for the wrong reasons, yet God still sent his son for us, still gives us whatever we ask according to his will, amen? Gives us whatever we ask. So if you have children, you are serving constantly. But when they grow up, maybe you become an empty nester, it's a little harder to serve people. You may have your spouse. If you're single, it's even harder to serve people. You have to kind of force yourself out to do that can be hard to do that, which is why you need to make sure you're involved in ways to serve others. The good news about the church, God has designed the church as such that there's endless opportunities to serve people. Whether it's on a Sunday morning, whether it's during the week, there are endless opportunities to serve. Often when, when people get down, I'm talking about just situationally down, I'm talking about a diagnosis, they get depressed or something, they get down. 
Often, they need just to take time out, and they need to go serve somebody. They need to go do something for someone else. And if you're stuck in one of those ruts, or you're down, let me ask you, when's the last time you went and served someone? I remember the very first time in ministry I ever did a hospital visit. I was young in my 20s, and I was an internship at a large church, and with a lot of members, and at really large churches like that, they would uh, pass different hospital uh, um, visits opportunities down to the lower rungs of the ladder. And so there was a man that not one, no one really knew very well. So they said, Charlie, go visit this man. And so I went and visited him. I've never been in a hospital on a visit before. That's one thing in seminary that they don't teach you how to do. They probably should. First time I ever stepped in for that. And he was dying, and I prayed for him, and, and he couldn't really speak, but his wife was in there. He was an older man, older gentleman. And I uh, prayed for him and everything and left. And I remember when I left, I felt good because I had served someone. They were thankful for the prayers. They were thankful for the visit. And I had a feeling I never felt in that way before, where you truly ministered to someone because you did something they didn't ask, they did, but they needed what they wanted. Ministry in the church are filled with opportunities that fulfill you when you do something you don't have to do. When you serve someone in a way you don't have to. But it takes humility. Richard Foster in his book on spiritual disciplines, he differentiates between what he calls self-righteous service and true service. See, sometimes in church life we can serve because we know we're supposed to and we're expected to, but it can become something we do out of a, an obligation or even a self-righteousness. It can be very easy to slip into that. And so he says, here's the difference. Self-righteous service comes through human effort, our own effort. True service comes from a relationship with God. You're serving because you love God. Self-righteous service requires external awards. In other words, someone's not going to serve unless they somehow get credit for it or rewarded for it. But true service rests contented in the hiddenness of that. If no one ever knows about it, they're fine with it. That's true service. Self-righteous service is highly concerned about results. True service is free of the need to calculate results. Self-righteous service picks and chooses whom to serve. True service is indiscriminate in its ministry. It just serves. Self-righteous service is affected by moods and emotions and whims. True service ministers simply and faithfully because there is a need. Self-righteous service is temporary. True service is actually a lifestyle. Self-righteous service is without sensitivity. It insists on meeting the need, even when to do so will be destructive. Has you ever had anyone who wanted to serve you so bad they hurt you? <laughs> they, they wanted to bless you so bad it became a problem? And if you said no, you hurt their feelings? That's self-righteous service. Maybe we experienced that around Christmas time. Now, I made these deviled eggs for you, now eat them. Maybe I don't want that. That's self-righteous service. 
I bought this for you for Christmas. Now wear it. I didn't ask for that. True service can withhold the service as freely as performance. True service doesn't have to do it. I'll do this whether you like it or not. I'm serving you. If you don't want it, that's fine. But if I feel called to serve someone, I'm going to do it, no matter the other person's reaction. And finally, self-righteous service fractures community, whereas true service builds community. That's the type of church God's called us to be, a church that serves truly. And I will tell you, I feel like we do pretty well. We're not perfect, but I feel like as a church, many of you do these things. We do pretty well with our service. He says in verse 4, Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Our default wiring is to serve ourselves, to take care of our own needs, which we have to take care of our own needs. We, I mean, we can't just go around with no clothes or food. Okay, we have to take care of our needs. But only living that way leads to despair because we're made to serve others just as Christ served us. One reason we're such a depressed culture is because the majority of people don't have Jesus Christ. They're not serving Him. They're not serving others. They serve themselves so much they can't do it anymore. We're called to serve others Humility allows us to do that. Number two, humility allows us to obey God. Humility allows us to obey God. Now, thankfully, we have a perfect model in the person and work of Jesus Christ about how to serve. Verses 5 through 11 are some of the most precious and wonderful verses in all of Scripture. In fact, I could just read this section and sit down and we could be impacted by it. Look at verse 5. He says this, Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. He's saying this. In other words, you can do this. You can have this type of humility. Why? Because Jesus had it. How? Because now you as a believer are in Him. You now possess the ability to serve others that does not exist outside of being in Christ. This is the model of Jesus, verse 6. It says, Though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. Meaning that he didn't demand this type of worship, at least in this instance, that he could have. Verse 7 But he emptied himself of all his attributes by by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. God, in the form of man, Jesus Christ, came to this earth and was born as a baby, a helpless baby. What a level of trust that would have to be. Verse 8, and being found in human form, he humbled himself further by becoming obedient to the point of death even death on the cross, being obedient to the will of the Father. Humility allows us to be obedient. You know you you have a humble child if they are obeying you for the right reasons. Not out of fear or anything like that. 
Because humility allows us to be obedient like Christ does. You know, we're, a, we're, no, we're humble when we're obeying God without fear of any repercussion or fear of any judgment. When we're obeying God, for the right reasons, we know we're humble. Jesus Christ modeled perfect humility by the fact that even though he was and is God, he left his place of glory, he emptied himself of all the glory, and came to earth as a servant. He took on the form of a man. He had to humble himself to do this. He then went through life the same way we did. He fought colds and illnesses. He probably had that Berkeley County cough that last two months. He felt pain. He dealt with difficult people. My, he dealt with difficult people. He did all the ordinary things, all the mundane things that we do in life, but he never sinned. He ate the fruitcake and didn't complain. <laughs> when Mary Magdalene would bring him some food, even if it was burnt, I bet he ate it. For 30 years, he humbly lived his life. He was obedient to the Father. And sometimes being obedient to God takes us places and has us do things that we would never do if we weren't being that way. The Battle of the Bulge, or the Christmas War of 1944, fought on, on Christmas Eve, was a decisive battle in World War II. It took place in the bitter cold and snow of Europe. And the Allied forces had bombed and established control of a strategic area. Can you imagine fighting the Germans on Christmas in the cold, in the snow. The commanding officer turned to several of his men. He said, sweep across the field, kill all the German soldiers that are entrenched in the snow. I want no prisoners. Kill them all. One of the American soldiers who was selected gave his account of what he experienced. He said, as I walked, I immediately shot and killed two wounded and suffering German soldiers. Then suddenly I approached a tall young man with a Nazi symbol on his head. Soldier, he was leaning against a tree. He wasn't wounded, simply exhausted. He had no food, no water, no comrades in sight, no ammunition. Unarmed, fear, fatigue, defeat, loneliness overwhelmed him, and he spoke English with a beautiful accent. And I noticed a little black Bible in his shirt pocket. And we started to talk about Jesus and salvation. Wouldn't you know it, that, that lanky German soldier turned out to be a born-again Christian who deeply loved the Lord. He says, I gave him water for my canteen. I gave him crackers. Then we prayed and we read God's word together and we wept together too. And his voice began to tremble and his tears came down his cheeks. His face began to reflect anguish. And he says, it seems like only yesterday we stood a foot or so apart. And as he read a psalm from his German Bible, I read Romans 12 for my King James translation. And he showed me a black and white picture of his wife and daughter. The soldier said, you see, in those days I was a young man in my early 20s. I just graduated from a Christian college. And I hadn't had time to sort out all my thoughts on the war. And I saw this man face to face. And he said, maybe that's what I did, what I did. So I bid my German brother farewell. I took several steps away. 
and stop. I was thinking about Romans 13. Thinking about the thou shall not kill commandment. Thinking about the promises of eternal life and the Prince of Peace and the Sunday school distinction between killing and murder and, and, and war. All these things swirled in my mind. I stopped and I turned back around and came toward the German soldier. And when he saw me returning, he bowed his head and closed his eyes in prayer. Then it happened. I saw, I said three crisp sentences that I still repeat once or twice a week when I have nightmares about the war. You're a Christian. I am too. See you later. Can you imagine the courage of obedience it would take to disobey a direct order from your country? The believer unarmed across from you. German-American, but the one thing they had in common was Jesus Christ. we have the humility to obey God, it takes us to places we may not have ever thought we'd be. It gives us to do things we never thought we would do. Only humility could allow us to serve Jesus like that. Number three, humility allows us to worship Jesus. You're here today because on some level you were humble enough to know that you needed to be here. Amen. Or if you couldn't come here because the wet rain, you can't drive well in the rain, you're watching online because you need to hear it. You have the humility to know that you need this today. Look at verse 9. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. The name of Jesus is not just a name. He's not just a person. He's just not a teacher. He's just not a God. He's just not a philosophy. He's just not a lifestyle. He's just not a name. He is the name. He is the way and the truth and the life. And every person, sooner or later, will bow the knee and speak the name. And the difference is when you do it. Now, if you're a Christian, we don't want to leave here today thinking, praise the Lord, I have the humility to do that. It's by God's grace that we've received salvation in Jesus Christ by God's grace, that we follow Jesus. If you know someone who doesn't know him, doesn't follow him, you need to pray that God will break them in such a way they have the humility to do so now. Because when Christ comes back, it's going to be too late for them. They will still stand in front of the throne, and they will still bow the knee. And they will still speak his name. Because it says every tongue will do this. The difference is when it occurs. True humility involves choosing to follow the king rather than to follow the self. 
That is true humility. And but for the grace of God, we can't do that. Next week, we have our Christmas Eve service. I know you know people who do not know Jesus Christ. And these same people probably have no problem coming to a Christmas Eve service. It's cultural enough phenomenon where they might come to it. Who can you invite? We have cards in the Welcome Center. Who can you invite? Whether it's Sunday at 11 or 5, who can you invite that needs to hear the gospel? And you need to pray that the Lord will speak to them in such a way that they will humble their heart and they will find him and receive the gift of salvation. Humility is a wonderful gift of Christmas. Heavenly Father, as we close our time together today, we thank you that you give us the means of becoming humble. That all of us in here today that are believers, that you're constantly working on our hearts, constantly chiseling away at our sinful pride and molding us into people that you can use more and more every day. So Lord, if there are those in us in here today that feel like we're really struggling with humility, that you would let us start serving others. That you would urge us to be more obedient to you. That Lord, you would show us how to worship you truly in spirit and in truth. And Father, if there's one in here today that's never bow the knee to you and confess your name, never received eternal life, your gift of salvation, never turned from their sins and decided to live in Christ, that today they would make that decision today. Lord, we give this response time to you. Congregation, whatever you need to do today, whether you need to come down front and just pray to the Lord, there's enough rooms around the poinsettia as you can do it. Whether you need me to pray for you this time, whatever it is, or whether you need to give your life to Christ today, make that decision. Lord, we love you. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.